Ahoy, welcome along, explorers. It's time to travel outside of our planet to take a quick spin around the solar system and learn all the secrets. It's a brand new Fun Kids Science Weekly. Now, my name is Dan. Every week, we hunt out all that science that you've never heard before. This week, you can hear a reason that you don't need to be so down about the health of the world. We'll chat to the science author, James Campbell, who says, don't panic, we can save the planet. The good news is that all the problems we have, we can solve them. We can fix them. Um, We have all the technology we need already. We already have it. We have enough money in the world to solve all the problems. We've got enough resources. We've got enough, you know, woods and coal and grass and seeds and trees. We've got enough stuff. We just have to get on with it. Um, What we're short of is time. So, yes, it's all solvable, but we have to start now. Also, we'll check in with Techno Mum, who has got the genius science behind what you actually watch on telly, which is kind of like rubbish podcasts for your eyes. If you think about your favourite television programme, it's not just one image. There's lots going on with people and objects moving around. All that movement is made by a series of still images which are played quickly, one after another. A bit like flipbooks. I got your questions to answer about what's in your blood and the oldest tree ever. Also, there is a big change happening which I need your help with. Stick around. It's a brand new Fun Kids Science Weekly. Let's kick things off with your science in the news. Now, England's hedges would stretch ten times around the world if laid next to each other. How brilliant and bizarre a fact is that? It's a new map that has been made by the UK Centre for Ecology and Hydrology. They've studied all the hedgerows over the UK. Those are the bits in between fields and farmlands. They found there are 390,000 kilometres of hedges in the UK, which is probably more than there is in every other country in the world. And hedgerows are really important because they're homes for animals. They're really good for the local ecosystem. So by studying how many we've got... They're trying to find how we can have some more. Also, this is exciting. A national award for young science writers is now open to children around the UK. The Young Science Writer of the Year was created by the Association of British Science Writers to get you thinking about the big questions in science. It's kind of what we do, but a way that you can write essays and stories and win prizes for it. Now, for the last two years, it was run in just a few spots around the UK, but it's now open all around the country to children in non-selective state schools. It's also for those who are homeschooled and who can't attend school in person. So look up more about the Young Science Writer of the Year online if you are interested in some of the stuff that we talk about on this show and it's got you asking more questions or start writing and start investigating and maybe even win an award. And finally, do you remember last week on the show, we heard about the Japanese mission to the moon and how the craft didn't land properly? Well, the Japanese Aerospace Exploration Agency, JAXA, have made contact with the moon lander. This happened a few days ago. And it's carrying out analysis that could help future much longer missions to the moon. 
Do you remember? We heard that maybe a change in the direction of the sunlight would catch one of the panels they've got that gives it energy. And, and it's done that. It's woken up the craft and it started to take some photos and study the surface of the moon. This is brilliant news. Not as good as it could be because the rover uh, hasn't started properly moving yet. But at least it's in contact thousands of miles away back to Japan on Earth. And it will start to research what can happen on the moon in the future. Thank you very much for listening to our podcast. This is the Fun Kids Science Weekly. And next week, we are doing something very special with the show. It's still the same podcast that you know, that you listen to and love. We're still exploring all the secrets around the solar system. And we're going to do more of it. We're going to answer more of your questions. We're going to learn more about strange science that's in the news. We will have experiments on this show and once and for all, we will discover which is the best science in the universe. Which type will it be? Who will win? We'll have different experts battling to prove that what they love is the best science of all. And here's what I need from you. To make this show even better, even bigger than ever. I just need your questions, really. I'll answer a few of them this week in just a tick. But if you have anything sciencey that you want, uh, want answered on the podcast from a real genius, someone from that field who knows exactly what they're talking about, well, I'd love to hear your question. Best thing you can do, leave it as a voice note for me on the free Fun Kids app or at funkidslive.com. There's a really big button on the website, very easy to record. And make sure you follow the podcast wherever you're listening so that next week when the Fun Kids Science Weekly, bigger and better than ever, drops, you'll be one of the first to hear it. I can't wait. Right now, let's check in with well, some of our old friends. These are our microbe buddies. They are Benny and Mal. Normally, they look inside your gut, right? That's what microbes do. They help break down food. They use all the good bacteria. They help keep you healthy. Benny and Mal are digesting more than that because they're answering huge ethical questions, dilemmas. These are big problems that have a good side and a bad side, and we have to discover which is which. And this time... It's all about the way we look, because sometimes we feel a bit down about the way that we are, but sometimes those feelings are complicated and affected by other people. What can we do to feel better about ourselves? Benny and Mal's Body Teasers, with support from the Nuffield Council on Bioethics. Oh, hello again. Now, as Nurse Nanobot loves to point out, my lab can get a bit messy. But what she doesn't realise is there's an awful lot of interesting stuff going on under all that mess. Take Benny and Mal, for instance. They are microbes, that's single-celled organisms to you and me, who live at the bottom of an old test tube. And being single-celled organisms, they are very single-minded. Just have a listen. Benny and Mal never agree on anything. So, lads, what's the hot topic today? Boy, lads, what's the hot topic? Sorry, mate. Well, if Big Mouth would let me finish, it's all about changing the way you look. I'd rather have a big mouth than big ears. Don't be silly. Microbes don't have ears, and name-calling isn't nice. And even if I did have big ears, which I don't, well, maybe I like them big. So you'd still want to keep your big, flappy ears, even if you look really silly. You sure about that? Rude. Who cares what you think? 
The way I look is up to me. If I think I look good, then I feel happy. And so... OK, I do take your point. How we feel about the way we look is very important. You could argue that it's much more important than what other people think. Well, I'm glad you can see my point of view for once. Refreshing. But sometimes other people's opinions do affect how we feel. What if I made fun of your big ears all the time and everyone on the telly and on the internet only had little ones? You might start wondering if yours were, well... A little different. That's true. Things like that can chip away at your self-confidence. Well, if it did get that bad, maybe I'd see if I could get an operation to make them smaller. Job done. Thanks. But it's not quite as simple as that. Surgeons are brilliantly clever and can certainly change the way people look in all sorts of ways. But operations can be risky and they might hurt. If I was really super miserable with my big ears, then why not? Off with my ears! All right, you fought it through, I can tell. But just because you want an operation, does that mean a surgeon has to do it for you? Of course it does. Their job is to make people better, and the operation would make me feel better. So, get on with it, Doc. Still not that simple, mate. Doctors aren't slaves. They even have a special rule, that is, that they must not do harm. They might think cutting your ears off would harm your body more than it would help your feelings. Now, if I was asking for them to cut off a leg because I wanted to be a pirate, (laughs) then I could see your point. But a simple operation on my flappy old ears shouldn't be too controversial, surely? Probably not. They'd still probably want to have a bit of a chat to make sure you knew all the pros and cons especially about how you might feel afterwards. Feelings can be complicated, you're not wrong. I suppose just because you think smaller ears or a bigger nose or an extra leg might make you happier, no guarantees, right? Maybe getting rid of your sad feelings needs a different solution. Exactly. And fashions can change and the images we see around us change too. Who's to say big ears won't be super fashionable next year? No doubt about it. With the amazing science and medical experts out there, changing the way we look is often possible. But just because we can, doesn't mean we should. It's a brain-busting body bamboozler for sure. Sure is. Catch you next time. Benny and Mal's Body Teasers, with support from the Nuffield Council on Bioethics. Find out more at funkidslive.com slash Benny and Mal. Let's get to your questions then. As I say, next week, we've got a bigger and better than ever Fun Kids Science Weekly for you. So I need your questions. Let me know as voice notes on free Fun Kids app or at funkidslive.com. Now, this one was sent to me on the website by Amy, who wants to know what would happen if we didn't have platelets. Well, platelets are in your blood. They're tiny fragments of bigger cells and they're kind of shaped like dinner plates and they have a very important role. They help clot your blood, which is vital because when you've accidentally scratched or cut yourself, they get to work. They block the wound and they clog your blood. Imagine a water pipe that's maybe got a hole in it. Now, you might put a patch over the hole, right, to stop all the water spilling and dripping out to stop it leaking. Well, that's pretty much what platelets do, but inside your blood and without them, your body would struggle to clot and you'd bleed way too much. And that could be deadly. So it's not good news, Amy. 
is what would happen if we didn't have platelets. It could all go very wrong. Thank you very much for the question. Here is something as well from Amelia. Thank you for sending this to me, Amelia, who wants to know how old is the world's oldest tree? Well, the world's oldest tree is generally considered to be something called Methuselah. I love that we give trees around the world names. Especially when they're old, Methuselah's a brilliant name. It helps you imagine like a twisting, churning witch, doesn't it? Which actually is what Methuselah looks like. It's a great basin, bristlecone pine. It doesn't look like it has many leaves. It's a thick, twisting trunk with chunky bare branches that spin, that reach to the sky. It's about five metres tall. Uh, And it looks very spooky. Experts think it's around 4,800 years old. So almost 5,000 years old. That is how old this tree is. But here's the thing. You can only really see it online. Loads of pictures. It's found in California in a place called the Inyo National Forest. Its actual precise location is kept a secret to protect the tree. People think they've worked it out, but the US government, who is in charge of this kind of stuff, different branches, uh, brilliant branches, trees, anyway, different branches of that government, they won't say where it is because they don't want people to, to come in and, and like try and harm it, really, which is sad that that's the state of things. But it is in California. It's called Methuselah, and experts think it's almost 5,000 years old. Amelia, thank you so much for your question. And I really want yours next week. We're going to get an expert on the show to answer something that you are interested in. What are you wondering? What has someone said to you this week and you're thinking, oh, that can't possibly be true. No way. Well, ask me and I will find out for you. Best way is to leave it as a voice note on the free Fun Kids app or at funkidslive.com. It's the Fun Kids Science Weekly. Now, we chat a lot about how we're worried about the climate crisis and we're wondering, is there anything we can do? Well, let's find out. There's a new book out. It's called Don't Panic, We Can Save the Planet, which gives us hope that surely there's something we can do. Uh, It's written by the award-winning author James Campbell, who joins us. James, thank you so much for being there. Just tell us, this worry that we all feel about the climate, how justified is it? Should we be panicking at all? As far as I can tell in my whole life so far, I don't think panicking helps with anything, unless you're in a panicking competition. Who can panic the most? So no, we shouldn't panic. The great thing is, there are lots of problems. Climate change is a problem. Um, Well, when I I was young, we used to call it the climate change and global warming. But global warming sounds really nice, doesn't it? It sounds like, mmm, lovely warming. Um, But now we're in a climate crisis. Uh, Crises are are not so good. In fact, if you don't pay attention to a crisis, things will get very bad. Um, But there's some really, really good news. The good news is that all the problems we have, we can solve them. We can fix them. Um, We have all the technology we need already. We already have it. We have enough money in the world to solve all the problems. We've got enough resources. We've got enough, you know, woods and coal and grass and seeds and trees. We've got enough stuff. We just have to get on with it. Um, What we're short of is time. So, yes, it's all solvable, but we have to start now. So that's brilliant to hear because a lot of what we we hear about the climate crisis in the news is that, well, we should panic. Things are going wrong. We need to be quick. But what can we do? So when you were looking into this book, how deep did you have to dive to find out the reasons that we should be optimistic? How much research did did you need to go beyond that top layer of 
panicking? Well, I did three different types of research. So first of all, I read lots of books and I read all the boring, earnest, grown-up books about the climate crisis. I read all those. Um, the other thing I did was I, I talked to scientists and activists and uh, people who are experts. I interviewed the experts. And then the third thing I did was I, I lived it. I thought, okay, as I was doing all this research, I discovered all these things that we can do and I thought, well, I'm going to do as many of them personally as I can. So the first thing I did was I got rid of my house. Uh, now, houses are great, uh, but mine was too big. And so what I did was I swapped it for a caravan. And I lived in a caravan. I turned it into an off-grid caravan. So I put solar panels on the roof, uh, which gave me electricity. And I put a wood burner in the corner, which gave me heat and something to cook on as well. I went vegan. Now, this is a tricky one, vegan, but so because the biggest impact you have on the planet, the biggest thing you do is what you eat. And it also is the biggest thing about who you are. You know, we are what we eat because you don't put anything else in your mouth, do you? So... I th looked into that and all the activists, all the scientists, they all said to me, we're all vegan. Right? And I was like, I don't want to be vegan because I love cheese. But I thought I'll do it for a month so I can write about it. Because farm animals, cows, chickens, all the rest of it, they, they produce gases themselves. And it's, a really, it's, it's not good for the environment. Lots of people say that everybody being vegan is not the answer. And they're probably right. Um, but I thought, well, I'll do it and I'll see how it goes. And for me, it works really well. So that was one thing I did. I got rid of my petrol car and I swapped it for an electric car. Now, again, lots of people will tell you that, oh, electric cars, they're a nice idea, but where do you get the batteries from and where do you get this from and etc etc and I, I agree it's really complicated um, but I thought I'll try that. I also stopped flying. Um, I used to fly everywhere for, for work doing shows and, and, and also holidays and stuff so I stopped flying completely um, so I've turned down lots of really nice juicy gigs. Um, like, would you like to come to Italy for the weekend? No, because I have to get the train. Um, so I've done all these sorts of things. I stopped buying new clothes because clothes are really, really bad for the environment. Well, we've got to wear something, haven't we? Can't walk around naked, you'll get arrested. So I just, all my clothes I now buy from charity shops because that way they're, they're clothes that somebody's already bought and, and nobody wants them anymore. So I think I'll have them. Um, and so those are the things I've done. So I've been living the life of an eco-warrior and also at the same time writing a book about it. So that's how I've written the book, is by living it, by reading about it and talking to people about it. Now, those are big changes. And, and when we hear those that, well, you don't fly, you, you've completely changed where you live and how you live, it can be a bit scary and very intimidating, perhaps, to, to someone who can't make all those changes. So, so what are some, perhaps, smaller things that we can do if we're not wholly ready to, to live in a caravan just yet? Oh, absolutely. I deliberately did all the things in a really extreme way because I thought that way I can find out more about it. But we don't all need to do that. If everybody does a little bit, I mean everybody does a little bit, then we'll be fine. I think the trick is to find something you can stick to. Now, that might be different for different people. So it might be that you say... When I go for my school dinner, my school lunch, I'm always going to choose the vegetarian option. 
right? And I'm going to stick to that because that's something you have choice over, isn't it, right? You can't probably choose what car your family has, right? But you can choose what you eat, okay? Um, I think being less fussy around food as well. So you might look at the vegetarian option, you might think, well, it's not my favourite, but I have it anyway. So you can do that. But also what you can do is you can nag grown-ups, you know, your members of parliament and councillors and your head teacher at your school, you can say to them, look, what are we doing? Can we do this? Can we do that? Because as an individual, you can't do very much. But as a community, we can do anything. I am at the moment, I'm in, currently in, in the corner of a field in a primary school in Essex, okay, uh, which is near where I live. And I'm looking across. We are building a food forest at the moment on the field in the primary school and I'm looking across I can see we've got about seven wheelbarrows there's three teachers and about 20 children with shovels and buckets and we're moving a massive pile of compost from the playground to, to the end of the field and once that's all that's in place we're then going to plant fruit trees fruit bushes um, and things that, that that people can eat over time and to do that I had to persuade the head teacher that this was a good idea. So if you're nine years old and you think to yourself, yeah, we want to have that, then you can go and persuade your head teacher. The kids who are helping with this at the moment are all part of the Eco Council and they meet once a month every Monday lunchtime and talk about what they can do to help save the planet. So I think the answer to your question is, as an individual, yeah, you can choose what you eat and you can choose where you eat. But all the other stuff... We're so much more powerful if we work as a team and as a community. Well, the new book, Don't Panic, We Can Save the Planet. If you feel quite down about about the doomy news that you hear, I think this is a real dose of optimism and to give you ideas for what you can do. You might not need to move to a caravan like James, but there's so much going on. James, thank you so much. I will leave you to go and help shovel some compost in Essex. Absolutely. Thank you so much. It's been lovely to be on your podcast. Now, for this week's Dangerous Dan, where we look at some of the most weird, unique, odd, deadly and strange things in the universe, we are headed to Africa. We're looking into the sky to take a look at the crowned eagle. Now, it's a big, terrifying bird. I think of the name crowned eagle. That's what it looks like, with a striking crown of feathers rising from its head. It makes it look royal, like a proper emperor of the sky. It's probably the, the strongest bird in Africa. It grows to almost a metre long, and the crowned eagle is known for its strong talons, these huge claws that pretty much rip prey straight from the ground. And they are strong enough, the claws are big enough, to take on prey much larger than itself, like antelopes and even monkeys swipe plonk straight from the tree. Now, they're quite secret in what they do, their habits, they are tricksy, they hide away. But they're very territorial, we know that. If another predator comes into their area, they defend it aggressively, swooping claws out, ready to strike and snatch. They are mean and angry and big and strong, and they look majestic, which is why the crowned eagle goes straight onto our dangerous stand list. Before we finish up this week, let's check in with Techno Mum. She is our gadget genius. She knows everything about the tech you use every day, how it's made, who invented it. This week, we're talking about telly. How exactly do those pictures on the screen work? It's been going for years and years and years now. How has it changed as well? 
Techno Mum Fast Files. I bet you love watching telly, but do you know how it works? Television programs are coded into digital information and sent through cables and the airwaves to your house. If you look closely at television screens, you'll see that, like computer screens, they're made up of a grid of dots. These are called pixels. Light is sent to each one and can appear as red, green or blue. Amazingly, our brains are able to process all these dots as the images we see. Now, if you think about your favourite television programme, it's not just one image, there's lots going on, with people and objects moving around. All that movement is made by a series of still images which are played quickly, one after another. A bit like flipbooks. Why not have a try at making a flipbook? How many pages do you think you'll need to create a story? Technomon, with the Institution of Engineering and Technology, advancing and sharing knowledge. And that is it for this week's Fun Kids Science Weekly. Thank you so much for listening. If there is any question that you want answered for next week, bigger, better than ever, make sure you leave it as a voice note for me on the free Fun Kids app or at funkidslive.com. You can hear some of the series that you've heard today and loads more. Uh, Google, Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your shows, we've got them on the free Fun Kids app and on our website too. And Fun Kids, we're our children's radio station from the UK. Listen all over the country on the free Fun Kids app at funkidslive.com too. And if you have a smart speaker, wake it up and ask it to play Fun Kids. Fun Kids.